Continuing on with eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. Uh, all those words are chosen carefully, but I don't have time to review that. Um, we did three weeks of introduction. Then we did on element one, the nature of God, we did one week. And this will be our fourth week and last week on the attributes of mankind. Now, I want to remind us of a couple things. Um, because sometimes it's a little bit hard to take more than a few takeaway points. And um, it was interesting that when we were having Chipotle last night, Anvesh had attended, when they were at the Creation Museum, he had attended one of Ken Ham's lectures. Uh, uh, he happened to, he's not there every day, but they always have lectures each day. And I've, I've only been there two different days. And, but they have some good lectures and with lots of alphabet soup behind their name. And... Uh, uh, he was talking about how when, um, when people, uh, when, when Bible-believing Christians and people raised in a Bible-believing atmosphere attempt to share the gospel with, with those outside the faith today, we are like ships passing in the night because 90-some percent of people you talk to do not have anything like the biblical God in their mind. So you're talking about God, and you have some biblical concepts about who God is, and they are uh, say, yeah, I prayed to her on her broom when she was flying through the air this morning and got in touch with her through my Ouija board and or whatever, you know. Uh, who knows what concepts they may have. They may be polytheistic concepts. They, uh, they're, but part of the whole thing of being lost is when man's sin nature will lead all men to a very twisted or askew uh, conceptions of who God is. So even people who've had some church background have a tendency to think of God as, uh, uh, instead of think, seeing holiness and, uh, and his authority and his absolute knowledge and truth as something positive, it tends to be something that they're afraid of because they kind of view God as some cosmic killjoy with a fly swatter just waiting for you to step out of line so they can, he can slap you back into place and say, see, I told you so. And whenever you have the... So the, the thing I want to emphasize here is this whole teaching we did on the attributes of God and why we recommend that you read, say, A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, of course, those of you who I uh, think there's... Now, at the end of this session of our theology class, we will have like 20-some graduates of it. Um, but one of the sections, the second big section in that class is on the attributes of God. And one of the things you need to do is know enough Scripture, memorize enough Scripture, be able to, to take people through Scriptures about the nature of God. Because, uh, as Ken Ham pointed out, and Anvesh was like, he made so many points that, that, that I tend to make. Uh, purely coincidental. I've, I've heard him speak a few times, met him once, but don't know much about that much about him, actually. But um, in any case, um, he was pointing out that, that most evangelicals today actually teach that Paul's approach in Acts 17 was wrong, and Peter's approach in Acts 2 was correct. 
Remember, we talked about that on the on the uh, week that we talked about the attributes of God, in that uh, Peter gets right into sharing uh, Christology and who Christ is and why why Jesus is the promised Lord of the Old Testament and the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, and they had killed him and they need to repent. Whereas Paul starts with developing, uh, he reads a, one of the uh, old ancient uh, Greek poets uh, in, in an inscription to a statue that says to an unknown God, and he starts with talking about who God is and the attributes of God. And actually people today are so, uh, let's just say that the, their whole point is to stay shallow and, and avoid getting too deep with the scripture and so forth, but the the whole they'll actually say that Paul was wrong. Look at the fruit. P- Peter had three thousand people, and Paul. Uh, some people said we'd like to hear you more about this, especially when they he mentioned the resurrection from the dead and the judgment to come. They were like, he's. He, they said he's a proclaimer of strange demonies. In other words, strange demons. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, English translations being polite. In wanting to Christianize things, you'll normally translate that he's a he's a proclaimer of strange deities. But they didn't have anything like the deity in their mind. They actually thought, you know, this guy's proclaiming strange spirits, <laughs> and uh, and because he's claiming that this guy lived and rose from the dead, and that that this guy is going to judge the whole world. Uh, we'd like to hear more about that because they like to hear a lot about new ideas. <laughs> so. My point in all this is just to say, um, you are not going to lead people to Christ. Like, for instance, we a lot of us focus on sharing with international students at uh, at um, Wright State University and Anvesh and, and our uh, the group of people that we're training for leadership on in the evenings um, have been focusing on getting prepared to share the gospel at Wright State and praying that God will especially open us up doors with people from the two states in India called Andhra Pradesh and Telangana that speak the one language called Telugu, and most of the right state Indian students speak that language. And that's that's the, the, the two states that most right state uh, master's degree students from India are from. And, you know, it's our prayer that we'll get to share the gospel with some of them effectively, but almost all of them are nominal Hindus. They're not going to have a Western Judeo-Christian idea of God in their mind. So you can't start with uh, the kind of gospel that developed in America, especially after the Civil War, that's mostly intended to uh, invite backslidden Christians back to faithfulness to God. That's kind of how the gospel is presented today. Uh, People who have... uh, grown up with some church, had a bad experience with the church, or decided to walk away from God or whatever, but calling them back to God. And uh, that's increasingly a very small percentage of people you'll meet out there. So that's uh, more background than I wanted to give, but, you know, we put the podcast or on the website. They're backwards chronologically. And if you haven't listened to one about the attributes of God, uh, please do so. Now, this will be our fourth week on the attributes of man. I'm not going to review all that. Just flip over to um, the backside and point C, that man has fallen. Last week, we looked at that man was created 
in God's image. And therefore, we looked at the whole concept of that, of life and pro-life and why life is valuable and in all that, and that man is made in, in God's image, and that everyone is made for an eternal purpose. God so loves us that he puts it in our soul that, you know, like the Bible says, God has put eternity in your heart. You will never know peace, joy, purpose, any kind of fulfillment until you're serving the God who created you and actively chasing through studies, through discipline, through character development, actively chasing the call of God on your life every day. And God has actually designed you, us, everyone, to have a, a thing called boredom. And boredom is actually a nagging feeling inside that there must be something important I'm supposed to be doing. And people try to kill that boredom with gambling addictions, drunkenness, uh, it, riding roller coasters, stealing things, um, you know, drug addictions. People try to kill that boredom one way or another, making lots of money, becoming famous, winning a championship. Uh, and people will eventually have sort of a drug of choice in, in terms of their boredom killing, and they will make a total idol out of winning a championship and or whatever their addiction is they'll even know that my uh you know my drunkenness or my my problem with this is actually destroying my life and it has bad consequences but they won't care because they're trying to itch a scratch that you can't itch that's why they say all addicts are always trying to chase the dragon they call it you're always trying to uh, attain some experience that you you know you can throw more and more drugs in, steal, you know, go from petty thefts to stealing cars, and and you know become like great diamond thief or something. You'll never satisfy it because God loves you too much to allow that to happen, and and you won't actually ever know uh, any kind of congruence or harmony in your life until you're actively serving the God who created you and chasing his purpose for your life with every fiber of your being. That you, If you seek to save your soul life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your soul life, your suke, that is your loves, your affections, the things, uh, if you lose those for the sake of the gospel, you'll find them again in Christ. You'll receive a whole new life. So that was last week. Today we're going to look at the, the uh, third aspect of man's nature. Man fell from God in sin. People ask me, I love to uh, realize that um, we are living in a time where there's two competing worldviews in America, the Greco-Roman humanistic worldview that deifies man's reason and man's science and accepts no spiritual side of life. Everything is, is matter is eternal, uh, life somehow spontaneously generated out of matter, uh, somehow matter, despite the law, second law of thermodynamics, did not wind down and and disappear eventually because matter is always breaking down into less harnessable forms and releasing its energy and so forth. So if matter was eternal, it would have had to cease to be uh, if it was billions and billions of years old and so forth. You know, but somehow uh, nothing, everything came from nothing. Uh, you know, which is illogical. Something, someone had to create everything. 
et cetera. So we're, we, what happens is this. When you have a, a well-formed worldview, someone who doesn't share your worldview will actually seem like they're an idiot to you. And it's unavoidable. And that's what happens with um, um, worldly people of t- today's, you know, kind of secular, humanistic, material, you know, a religion called materialism or naturalism, which leads to, to humanism and leads to the exaltation of the state as our savior and planned economies and the government solving problems and things like this. When people have that worldview and you're trying to talk to them about your worldview, you'll seem like an idiot to them. And at times you'll be like, why can't they see this? Because Hebrews 11 says, by faith we understand. And faith is not a, a, a leap of faith. Faith is a relationship. Faith is the God of this world having introduced himself through the scriptures and by the power of the Holy Spirit to you in such a way that you know that you know that you know that he's true. The, you know, the gospel writer John says that whoever has believed his report has set his seal to this, that God is true. God is actually introduced. You as a Christian are saying, God, uh, I was running from God. I didn't seek, I wasn't seeking God. And God came knocking at my door. There's no one can come unless the father draws him. And he caused me to, to experience poorness of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, my life fell apart. What, whatever reason I started thinking about the things of God and God drew me into his kingdom uh, because he loved me. And uh, so when you have that worldview, you're, you really are like you're, you're dealing with two completely different worlds. And my suggestion is if you've never uh, read, say, The Reason for God by Tim Keller or followed any of his things, my suggestion is this. What Tim Keller's excellent at doing is helping uh, people that are lost uh, question their presuppositions uh, that is, that they're making a, an irrational leap of doubt that they're basing their worldview on and helping them see that with a very respectful way of doing it. And you're not going to win people to Christ. I, I, I sometimes share this testimony, one of my lowest points, uh, though I've had plenty. Uh, not, been a, not been the greatest Christian at times. But one time I was sharing the gospel in the Bowling Green dorms uh, back in, I guess, early 80s, maybe. And um, I'm sharing with this guy, and he starts telling me his beliefs that he's, you know, f- flies to different planets and his, has a spirit soul guide. And it, it, I don't know, it got real crazy. And, um, and frankly, he was real into drugs, and he, he was he had lost a lot of touch with reality and so forth. And... Um, but as he was explaining his beliefs, it got so bizarre that I started laughing. And, uh, you know, the, he actually rebuked me, which he should have. And he said, you're not going to win very many people to, to your point of view if you laugh at their point of view. And, uh, and I said, you're right. I'm sorry. And um, so my point here is that we need to understand how to help people uh, see with respect to their blindness. It's as simple as that. And so let's get into this. Um, I am not going to deal with the historical count of man's flaw or fall and how man became twisted and flawed. Remember, you got to start with the first points. Man is created in God's image for a purpose. 
And people don't lose that. Okay, so the Imago Dei, uh, the image of God in theology, everyone has that. So every person has a sense of justice and a sense of right and wrong. And as Proverbs says, every man's way is right in their own sight until the Lord examines their motives, until the Lord helps them see. 80% of people surveyed say that they live a life morally superior to, our, to other people. And that math doesn't work very well, does it? But that's what they honestly believe. They believe, because they've set up their own criteria of goodness, that they're a pretty good person. And they can, they're made in God's image, so they're inescapably religious. They have a sense of right and wrong, and they have developed their own systems of justice. It just happens that their, their justice isn't necessarily justice for someone else. In fact, their justice can be downright oppressive to other people. So keep that in mind because what the fall did is just takes every altruistic uh, impulse and twist it. So people still do, they serve, they give money, they do uh, philanthropic uh, endeavors. Uh, they help little old ladies across the street. They get Eagle Scouts. They become Eagle Scouts, or they they do seemingly good things, but they don't necessarily do them out of their relationship with God for the glory of God, by the grace of God. And that's what the Bible calls one of the foundations of the Christian life, leaded and listed in Hebrews six, verses one and two, is repentance from dead works. Pe- people that. I, People that don't know the Lord still like to help out at Sunday school. They like to volunteer at Kids Rock and Whiz Kids. But not necessarily for the right reasons. So um, if you want, I would encourage you, if you've never done this, study very deeply Genesis chapter 3, the whole chapter. You'll see uh, that's where several things that are part of this fallen nature begin in mankind. First of all, man becomes a blame shifter, right? And we are all expert blame shifter. Who's not like a master blame shifter? (laughs) Raise your hand if you're not any good at blame shifting (laughs) and excuse making and rationalizing. (laughs) We actually learn that as soon as we learn to talk, right? Yeah, uh, you know, my wife and I have a running joke, you know, if we just celebrated our 33rd anniversary, she says, you're a blame shifter. And I say, well, it's your fault. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so, you know, Adam actually says the woman, first he starts blaming his wife, then he thinks better of it and says, I think he didn't want to get in trouble when he got home. But uh, <laughs> then he said, <laughs> <laughs> he says, the woman whom thou hast given me, by the way, you gave her to me in the first place. It was your idea. I didn't even ask for a wife necessarily. <laughs> and that's uh, uh, your fault, God. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, of course, Eve blamed the serpent. Flip Wilson theology, the devil made me do it. And some of you are old enough to remember who he was. He was a comedian who uh, had his most famous line was, the devil made me do it. And, uh, um, of course, the serpent was willing to take the blame. So there we go. Uh, men begin to hide from the presence of God. And we're going to look at that here. 
uh, they begin to try to atone for themselves. Uh, if you look at like what's the number one genre of books, even in Christian bookstores, supposedly Christian bookstores, that's almost laughable sometimes, it's self-help books. How to have your best life now. Can you imagine Jesus calling Peter and I, I just want you to follow me and have your best life now. I, and we'll throw in a couple of McDonald's coupons so you can have it your way. And uh, you, you, oh, that's Burger King, see? Oh, well. Uh, so uh, there we go. Uh, so let's look at this. The first characteristic is that men are hiding from God. This is very important. I've given you a couple of scriptures there. Romans 1, uh, hopefully you know that one. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. The reason there's no atheists in foxholes is everyone, even atheists, know, know there's a God. And they're running from that fact. When my parents became Jesus freaks, uh, I... I looked back later and I realized that there was actually this Christian guy who started talking to me in high school and I made a point of never sitting near him or talking to him again. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, until the Lord, you know, turned me and granted me repentance that leads to life, Romans 2, 4, uh, I didn't want there to be a God because deep down I knew it would interfere with my drugs and my other uh, ways of making myself God. And, all men are, men are not neutral. Like you hear these testimonies, I've been seeking for truth all my life. And last night I came forward at the altar and I prayed and I found God. Not really. You've been running from God all your life. And finally he trapped you into the point where you said, okay, I give up. Come and save me. I've had enough of my way. Proverbs says the backslider in heart will have, the only verse on backsliding in the whole Bible, uh, will have uh, his fill of his own way. The, the whole point of being lost is you're doing, you, you think you're doing your own thing. And actually when you're doing your own thing, you're becoming increasingly a slave to sinful impulses that you think uh, you want this guy in your life and you want this priorities and you want to do this and you want to do that. And you're increasingly being collapsed into a smaller and smaller universe centered around I want, I think, I feel, I am, and so forth. And you're becoming a slave to all that. So when this is really important, this thing that men are hiding from God, uh, as, as Genesis 3, 9 you know, God goes to see Mo Adam, it says, in the cool of the day. And I, Adam hides himself from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you get that, you'll understand academia. You'll be ready for a university education. <laughs> because if you really get the essence of modern psychology, uh, modern sociology, modern views of history, and so forth, they are men's attempts, bio, modern biology, modern geology. They are man's attempts to deny God. Because men are not neutral. 
Uh, if you've never studied, most uh, Christian apologetics today uh, is evidential apologetics, which is biblical. But a much more important kind of apologetics is called presuppositional apologetics. And that is that people's reason is not neutral. Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. He who doesn't gather with me scatters. You, uh, people who are not seeking Jesus are seeking deception. And they like every explanation of things that doesn't put the responsibility on ourselves. They seek out psychologists that tell them it's their fault of how they were brought up and so forth. Here's the problem. I believe all that's contributing factors, but the problem with that is it's disempowering. What am I going to do about the fact that my mother bit me when I was five? I, what I can do is choose by the grace of God to forgive her, start to pray for her, and become the person God wants me to become anyway. So um, this whole thing of men is hiding from God, I, I could preach like 20 sermons on this and I wouldn't run out of material. That's really the essence of much of the whole modern world. And unfortunately, in the so-called Bible-believing church, that's become a, a big part of the whole theology thereof. Is ways to reduce the scriptures so that we have a smaller view of God that we're dealing with. And that, you know, I'm not going to, this later in the Kingdom of God series, which we'll get back to this fall, I'm going to talk about things like reductionism and antinomianism and, and so forth. But many of the popular theologies today are, are the church's attempts to, to, to get God tameable, to make him smaller, to make it less important, to make it more man-centered. If you want to sell books, make them man-centered. If you want to have a popular gospel, emphasize what God is going to do for you. God is your genie. You know, there's a psalm that says he's a buckler, and most people have turned that into he's my butler. You know, uh, so um, hiding from God is a huge part of uh, of our sinful nature, and only God, by His grace, can turn us from that. We have to just con confess. That's just getting convicted of things. That is convinced by the Holy Spirit that what I'm saying is true. And then confessing it so we don't know, which hamalageo means to say the same thing as God says, to no longer excuse, make, and blame shift is the key to saying, Lord, save me. Why well, I'm trying to get rid of calling Jesus saviors because the Greek word really means rescuer, deliverer. It's a lot more than like I prayed a little prayer and I said, get in the back seat of my car and keep your opinions to a minimum and I'll continue to be my own God and but I'll call on you when I'm in trouble and I make mistakes. That's the gospel today. But God would have none of that. He, he has this problem. He, he's convinced he's God, and he happens to be right. <laughs> and so he will not allow you to have any other gods beside him. If you want to get along, Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they agreed or they made a covenant? If you want to get along, you got to turn around. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the old story of the guy was pat petting the cat backward and the cat cat's hissing and, 
and snarling and so forth. And he just looks at the cat and says, well, turn around, stupid. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, like that's our problem. <laughs> you know, we don't want to turn around. All right. Secondly is we're unrighteous. Again, most people see themselves as righteous. It actually was like a cool thing to say, I think, in the 80s. Like, righteous, dude. That was righteous. <laughs> um, most people think there's righteous, but the Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all of us become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have made a, a separation between you and God, so he cannot hear. We, the re, people always go like, well, I really hate sin. No, you don't. <laughs> the reason we sin is we love it. That's why the great Puritan preacher, Jonathan Edwards, preached about uh, God changing your affections. Jesus wants you to lose your soul life. That is, change what you're even interested in. Who you're interested in, who you want to be around, what priorities you want to have, how you want to spend your money, uh, what your life's about. He came to set you free from all that. So your life could be increasingly about him and his kingdom and his purposes, because that's what he calls freedom, because that brings you back into harmony with how you were created in the first place. So unrighteousness is um, now uh, in first John, he has this, he says, uh, all sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawless. Matthew five, Jesus says this. Do not think I came to abolish the law, but I came to, and the Greek means to empower you to do it, to put it into force. And he goes, don't think that one jot or tittle will, will uh, disappear from the law. And he go, then he goes on to say that whoever upholds and teaches and observes the law and teaches others to do so will be called great in the kingdom of God. Now, that's exactly what's not happening in the evangelical church today. Evangelical churches have embraced a concept called antinomianism because we're under grace. We can just live in some sort of nebulous sense of what righteousness is. But all the great Puritan preachers, the reformers, the early church, the law is, the law is still the embodiment of the truth because it came out of the unchanging, eternal attributes of God. And what Jesus rejected was not the law. He rejected the Pharisees' misuse of it. And he, he rejected shallow things like you're not, you heard you're not supposed to commit adultery. No, I'm telling you, I came to empower you so you're not even going to think about it. I came to give you a new, new heart and write my law upon your hearts and your minds. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, if you don't have those scriptures memorized. Write them down. That you should, Everyone Christian should know those by heart because that's the promise of the new covenant. I'll write my laws upon your heart and your mind. They won't have to tell everyone, know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the least to the greatest and so forth. Unrighteousness is law-breaking, and it's an idea of, of that righteousness is just doing how you feel. I uh, don't want to disillusion you as your pastor, but sometimes a lot of the things I feel and feel like doing, let's just say they're not very righteous. <laughs> you know, have you ever felt like taking retaliation? 
<laughs> have you ever felt like uh, instead of making the sign of the cross when somebody cuts you off in traffic, giving them a different sign? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, uh, etc. You know, I'm sure we, you all can. I hope you can relate, unless you're entirely sanctified, which I there actually is a small sect in the 19th century that believed in a concept called entire sanctification. I've just never met anybody like that. <laughs> And let's let's just assure you that that's not me. All right. Thirdly, uh, men are deceived and they're blind and pursuing it. Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is very righteous and godly, and can be understood by having a bad neighborhood, kids mistreating you when you're a kid, your dad left you, and your mother bit you when you're five. And therefore, that's why you do wickedness. Oh, that's Christian modern psychology. <laughs> Sorry, I misread it. The, the heart is deceitful above all else. By the way, the previous verses in Isaiah, look those up in some different translations. I chose um, one that's a little in, um, uh, public friendly, but it means like filthy rag, means like menstrual rags and stuff like that. It's disgusting. What God is saying, that's how God sees your virtuosity. Mm -mm -mm. You're so righteous. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Think about what the statement he's making there. That's darn radical. We know that we're of God. Those, you know, the Bible says that the kindness of God grants repentance those who are born again in Christ, those who are recreated, those who demonstrate it, uh, if you study uh, the ancient church or the Puritans or any or the reformers on true and false conversion, those who, act, you know, the church is filled with false converts today, but those who demonstrate it by living a lifestyle under the lordship of Christ in a body of Christians, in a community way, being discipled, being accountable, uh, having you know, daily spiritual disciplines of studying God's word and, and uh, letting their not being in relationships that aren't, that aren't according to what scripture teaches. Those who are really following God versus uh, those who are def- you know, defining righteousness any old way they want, we know that we're of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's a radical statement. But if you don't get that, and if you're not clearly on the right side of that history, you're not going to be able to help anybody. If you really want to care about people, you've got to get rightly aligned with God and the truth, and and your character has to become more and more Christ-like, and you need to lay down everything, all your ambitions, all your dreams, all your finances. When you give your 10% to the kingdom, you're just actually saying, God, it's all yours. The very fact that I can breathe is yours. The fact that I have a job is yours. The fact that I can do anything is yours. And I'm giving it all back to you because in the Bible, the firstborn and the 10% and the first fruits, they represent the whole. When we worship, we don't go like, Lord, I give you 10% of my praises. Lord, I give you 10% of my worship. You are one of the top 10 people I worship. (laughs) (laughs) That wouldn't even sell on Christians' radio stations. All right, so man is independent or rebellious. 
We, you know, the saying in the 60s was do your own thing. Now we have a whole culture doing it. If it feels good, do it. Do whatever you want. You are God. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. One of the things, you're not going to help people come to Christ unless you understand this. Every person you meet today has exalted their, their, their opinion as being God. They take all these surveys all the time, vote for this, vote for that, and 61% of the people are in favor of the Supreme Court's decision. And None of that changes reality, however. And more importantly, what it breeds in people is people actually think my opinion is, real, is true. People are walking around with an incredible amount of arrogance, and what's sad to say is the more they have, the less they have a basis for it, the more uneducated, the more addicted, the more troubled they are, the more opinionated they are. Because it's part of that worldview. You know, we've helped a lot of drug addicts and a lot of alcoholics. This church has kind of specialized in, in helping troubled people. And one of the things that, that you always see, the people who are really troubled know it all. That's part of how they got troubled. And uh, I can look around here and I remember quite a few of you having that talk five years ago or whatever. Of You need to, uh, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him and let him direct your path. Because you've been doing that for X number of years now. And now look where it's gotten you. That's how we all came to Christ, right? So uh, people are independent, rebellious. People are slaves of sin. Jesus said, truly, truly, I said to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. I can remember when I was 17 years old and, you know, I began to have all these crazy experiences and and then God, I started, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't, I started reading the Bible. I didn't try, my parents were Christians, but there was a generation gap concept back then. And they were over 40. So, and everybody over 40 had a skinny brown tie and a crew cut. Oh my God. <laughs> I got a crew cut. I got no hair. In it. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I have a blue tie, but, uh, and I'm boring. <laughs> I've become boring. I like, and I love it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, um, just hang out with me. I, the most exciting thing I do is go to Chipotle. <clears throat> um, d- double hot sauce. Now that's living on the radical edge. You know, what a wild man. All right. Uh, you know, I love boring. Um, I, I love just staying home with my wife and, and reading books. My, my wife reads big, fat theology books, and I try to understand what she's reading. Um, so, uh, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now, some of you old people might be old enough to remember Bob Dylan's Christian phase and his album, Slow Train Company, and his song, You're Gonna Have to Serve Somebody. But the truth of the matter is we're, we're slaves to our whatever we love in our heart. Some of us are whatever. It can be cars, women, 
It can be fame, popularity, uh, you know, thinking that we'll somehow have some kind of identity once we get our doctorate or, you know, whatever. We can make, because it, what is never talked about today, which if you'll just trust me on this, take the word idol, put it in Bible Gateway or a Bible search engine, and then solve for any part of a word. So you get all the verses about idol, idols, and idolatry. And you'll see that a major emphasis of the whole New Testament world was turn from your idolatry unto the true and living God. Because we are idol makers. We can make idols out of our coffee. Don't touch my... my uh, Mike, well, I actually have a competitive brand now, kind of an eye coffee. I rejected cure. But I have thousands of K-cups and all sorts of different varieties. And you can be sure that if you come over to my house, you're going to be offered coffee. Uh, next, spiritually dead and destined to die physically. We're subject to corruption. Guess what? You, uh, you grow and develop and so forth physically till you're about 23 to 27. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> You'll be like, I never thought I would be bald, fat, and ugly. Uh, I just thought I'd be fat and ugly. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I thought I'd still have some hair, you know. Uh, not so. And, uh, you know, like, like yesterday I, I did an hour and 10 minutes on the treadmill, and I, half the night I was in pain. I'm like, it shouldn't hurt so much just to do it. You know, well, that's, it didn't hurt that much when I was 16. But uh, <clears throat> at 58, it's killing me. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, so the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, According to the, and then he goes on to say how he made you alive. The King James says quickened. Lastly, we're separated with, from God, and we've already talked about this, so I'll wrap up here because I'm past my time. We're without hope or without purpose. You're subject to boredom. You're subject to futility. God, boredom is God's gift to you to say you're not centering in on the call of God on your life. If you actually begin to know the Lord as much as he wants to reveal himself to. He wants you to be intimate with him. He wants you to know his voice. He wants you to be able to say, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then know the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, knew the Pharisees were thinking this and this. Jesus wants to make you the kind of person who's, if someone says, you know, John Gray, what were you doing last night at nine o'clock? You could legitimately say, not just to be smart, you could go, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? <laughs> you know, well, what did you expect? <laughs> I was doing the will of God, which happened to be changing a diaper at that time. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so the bit, the last and final takeaway here, and I'll be five minutes past my time, but frankly, I get started about 10 minutes past my time, is this. Um, this whole concept of, this, of man's sin nature and the fall of man is probably the most misunderstood concept in the Christian world today. 
Most people have kind of an idea. I remember working with certain of you and saying, let's start by you reading the book of Romans and asking God to show you the depth of your depravity. Most people say, well, I've gone to church all my life and I never raped anybody and I didn't steal any cars and I haven't done drugs. You know, I'm, I'm basically a pretty good person and I've made a few mistakes, so I need a little help from God. Most people do not have much of a view of sin in their life. But until you see the depth of your depravity, the cross can do you no good. Romans 5.20 says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Understanding the depths of your sin is a necessary stepping stone to meeting the gracious one in who he really is. Amen.